You may be seated. Uh, we're going to turn in the Scriptures to the Psalm 23. Uh, the Psalm 23. Uh, very familiar words, perhaps the best known of all of the Psalms. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in, pa in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and may we know the cur and the help of our tender shepherd, our great shepherd, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us unite together uh, in prayer as we worship the Lord. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we give thee thanks today that we can enter into thy courts with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. And we thank thee today that we can lift our voices to thee, rejoicing in who thou art. And we thank thee that as thy people and as those who have been saved by the power of Christ, we can cry out that it is well with our souls. And we thank thee that thou art our God and our Savior and our Redeemer, and we rejoice, Father, we can come today to worship Thee and to give Thee all the honor and all the glory. And we thank Thee, Father, for Thy salvation. We thank Thee for establishing Thy church here in this place. We thank Thee for every individual, every family represented today. And we rejoice we can come together as a church and as a family of believers to worship Thee. And Father, we pray that Thou would be pleased to be with us this day. May we not be distracted from our worship. May our thoughts be upon the Savior, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. And our Father, we are mindful of the great need of society today. Uh, we think of so many in this season thinking about others and receiving and giving gifts and referring uh, much to Christ and to the nativity and to his incarnation, yet there is little thought of who he is, little thought of uh, the one who was led in the manger being the Savior of sinners and the judge of this world. And, O oh God, we pray that thou would move in our society, move here in this area to the saving of souls. And may men and women consider their latter end. And that great question, where will I spend eternity? And we pray, O oh God, that Thou would, through Thy Spirit, 
stress the need of eternal matters upon souls, that men and women may look to thee and know thy so great salvation. Our Father, we do thank thee for thy blessings upon us. We think of Friday evening and our social here as we gather together and sang thy praises and considered uh, thy truth. We thank thee for the fellowship as well, and uh, we thank thee for the Sunday school and the children and families who took part. We pray that I would bless each one, and uh, we pray that all our families here would know the blessing of God and thy safety and thy protection, and most importantly, thy so great salvation. Father, unite families in Christ, we pray. We do remember the needs we have as a congregation. Father, remember the Hansons. Remember our sister Debbie as well and others who need thy help and thy touch. Remember our brother Colin, his mom, his niece as well, and all uh, those needs that we have as thy people. We thank thee we can look to thee and we can bring our cares before the Lord knowing that he careth for us. And Father, today as we come and worship, forgive us for our sins. Convict us of our sins, we pray that we would flee them and flee on to the Savior. And we pray that thou would be graciously near to us. Give us joy, give us thankfulness as we gather together. And we pray that would give us a teachable spirit as we turn to the Word of God. And may thy Word and thy teaching and thy instruction be written upon our hearts by thy Spirit. Father, bless us. Meet our needs. Meet the needs of our denomination, our sister churches. Bless today across this continent as we gather together. And may Christ have all the glory and all the praise we ask for his sake. Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn in our hymnals again, the hymn 371. 371, the bulletin has a mistake in it. And uh, our brother gave me the hymns yesterday and there was a mistake in uh, one number. And then I made a mistake this evening in writing the hymns down. And so uh, there's a similar situation this evening. Uh, but 371 is the hymn we're singing. And when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, what great words we have here. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Can you say that today? Can you sing it? Can you sing it? It doesn't matter whether it's in tune or not, but can you sing it from the heart? It is well, it is well with my soul. 371, and we'll stand uh, to praise the Lord.
seated. We're going to turn in the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I think today we'll finish 1 Timothy chapter 2, and then uh, after uh, the holiday period into the new year, and maybe the second Sunday in the new year, we do have a text to bring uh, for the year that lies ahead, a motto text uh, that we can take upon our hearts. Uh, but we will uh, be coming again then to 1 Timothy, uh, probably the second week, God willing, in January and coming into chapter 3 and dealing uh, with uh, the various qualifications uh, for those who are in leadership uh, within the Church of Christ. Uh, but we're in 1 Timothy 2, and we'll take time and read uh, the whole 15 verses, the whole chapter. The Word of God says, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. For Adam was, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible word this morning. Let me give another word of welcome to each one gathered in. Uh, we trust the Lord will bless. And to those watching online, we welcome you as well. And uh, we trust that wherever you may be, the Lord will bless you. And uh, we do encourage you to stay with us and to uh, view uh, the whole service as you gather uh, with us today uh, through the means of the internet. Do remember the uh, various uh, services for the remainder of today. Uh, after the service this morning, uh, please join with us downstairs uh, for some light refreshments. There are a number, uh, I think, pastries and different things left over from our social on Friday evening. And so uh, you're very welcome to come downstairs for a short time 
and to have uh, a pastry or coffee or even just to have a very short time of fellowship and uh, to use those and to talk and fellowship together. We will also be showing the Korean mission trip presentation in the prayer room for those who like to, would like to view it. Uh, the Reverend Saunders, the moderator of our uh, denomination, went to Korea recently. We have a mission work there, and he produced around 16 to 17 minutes of a PowerPoint presentation. He talks through uh, the work there. We viewed it on Wednesday evening at the prayer meeting, and there were some, uh, I think there were sound issues for quite a number of people at the prayer meeting, the, those who were watching on Zoom, and so they didn't get to see the whole presentation or hear the whole presentation. And so uh, for those individuals especially, and for others who would like to view it who weren't there, others maybe who want to see it again, uh, after the service we'll show it in the prayer room. Uh, for around 16, 17 minutes. So you can go get a cup of coffee, uh, get uh, a pastry or something, and then uh, go into the prayer room. And when everyone is gathered, uh, we will do that uh, presentation. So we do encourage you to stay. And uh, it is a last-minute announcement, but we trust that you'll be able uh, to join with us. And then tonight, 5.30 is our prayer meeting and our evening worship at 6. Wednesday is the prayer meeting at 7.30. We will not be watching Reverend Saunders' report on Wednesday evening. I think that is still in the bulletin. I forgot to remove it. Uh, so it will be uh, a usual meeting with myself. Next Lord's Day, uh, there is no Sunday school. It recommences after the new year. And then on the 31st of December, the preacher at both services will be Mr. Stephen Boyd, and I'll be preaching in our Calvary congregation uh, that Lord's Day. The next women's breakfast and the next men's prayer meeting will be on Saturday the 6th of January, the usual times of 9 a.m. and 7.30. And we have a week of prayer that will be held on Zoom from Monday the 8th to Friday the 12th of January at 7 p.m. each night. Uh, our evening prayer meeting will be held in person as normal at 7.30, so do uh, remember that. There's still, let the Bible, or there's still TBS uh, calendars available, and uh, do uh, remember those on the hall table. And the Canadian Lord's Day Association has uh, sent us their magazine, uh, so it is on the table as well, so do take a copy of that on your way out. These are all the announcements. They're subject to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn 497. 497. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. 497 will remain seated while our tithes and offerings are received.
believers that we can worship this day. Thank you for giving us the needs of life and we return them. And we ask that you would take our tithes and our offerings, that you would bless them and that you would use them to send the gospel message forth. Bless that message in this house today. Bless our pastors. He would bring a word. And we ask that you'd speak to each heart, that you would tune us into thy word, that we would take it in. Help us to worship our Savior. We thank thee, Lord, for your goodness to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We'll stand to sing verse 4, making verse 4 the final verse. Uh, that we will say, I'm when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory is won. Stand to sing verse 4. to turn again in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, First Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read again from the verse 11. The Word of God says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Amen. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his word this morning. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord as we come and consider his word today. Uh, we're continuing on from where we left off last Lord's Day. And so let us come and seek the Lord. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy goodness and thy grace toward us. We thank thee, O God, that we can turn afresh to this passage and to consider thy precious word. And we pray that thou would give us a teachable heart, give us a teachable spirit, 
to these things, that Christ our Savior would be glorified, glorified in the preaching of His Word, glorified, O God, in uh, our practice and our thoughts within our lives. And may He have all the glory. We thank Thee that He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer of sinners. And, O God, we cry to Thee that we would see that today, uh, that those outside of the kingdom of God would make sure of their soul's salvation. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, Thou would be with us as we gather around Thy Word. Take away distractions. May we focus upon Thee, and may we learn from Thee. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The acceptance, the ordination, and the leadership of women in the roles of elders and pastors within the church of Christ is a common sight in today's generation. It was not always so. These changes came into the mainstream denominations and became more popular in the 20th century. Needless to say, the role of women in leadership roles within the church is a controversial and often volatile subject. And at the center of that debate are the words of the Apostle Paul within our text. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 and 12 specifically, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And again, we must recognize that these words are not the ideas of Paul. He does not have a grudge within his heart against women and is not out to criticize them or to belittle them or to keep the man in control of the church. There's none of that. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, if we have an issue or a problem with the words that he has written here, then our problem is with the God of heaven and the authority of his word as inspired by his spirit. And the removal of these verses from the teaching of the church is seen today in many Presbyterian churches, in Anglican churches, in charismatic and Presbyterian circles as well. And again, these can be sensitive issues. When we considered the verse 10 and 11, the verse 9 and 10 last week, we saw that, yes, that can be a sensitive issue within the church. And so can what we are considering today. And therefore, the church, as we approach the majority of issues, we are to approach it in love and grace and wisdom. That should always be present. Paul is not relegating women to a secondary position within the church, but rather he's acknowledging here there is a difference of their role within the church, specifically in public worship, compared to those who are the leaders within the congregation. And of course, this passage concerns the role of women within public worship. Last week we considered our first point, a God-glorifying modesty from verses 9 to 10. And we looked at the words used by the apostle and instructed that the dress and apparel of the worshiper should not distract from the solemnity of the act of worship. It should not take away our attention from God. 
And that is important and vital to us all, but in the context of the text to the ladies. And we encourage you to go online to our sermon audio page to listen to that sermon if you have not already heard it. Uh, because here today we have uh, two more points that carry on from last week. Uh, this is a separate sermon now on its own, but it is obviously connected to what went before last week. And so we come to our remaining two points, and considering women within the church, part two, godly women within the church, part two, and we see firstly then, or secondly, following from last week, a God-glorifying subjection, a God-glorifying subjection. Verses 11 to 12 teach us that within the context of the church and worship, there is to be a subjection by those who are the ladies within a congregation. And that subjection is not to glorify man. It is a subjection that glorifies God. Let us commence this point by asking an important question. And when we look at these verses, these verses have been abused in Christian circles. These verses have been abused in Reformed Christian circles. And the question is this, do women make a valuable contribution? Do Christian women make a valuable contribution to the life and witness of the church collectively and also to everyone individually, including the men? And the logic and the real answer is yes. And if we are to examine ourselves and examine our own personal Christian lives and examine the life of this congregation, the logical and real answer is yes. We all make, men and women included, make valuable contributions to the life and witness of our congregation and individually. And this is not something that we should question. This is not something the apostle is questioning here. Women have a vital part to play in the church. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1 and the verse 14. Acts chapter 1 and the verse 14. We find here the disciples are in the upper room. They are praying for the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost to come upon them. And it says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And so the women were there, present, when the disciples came apart and they prayed and they waited upon the promise of God concerning the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 16, in the verse 3, again we have in view women within the church. And Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, a wife and her husband, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Here we have Priscilla, a woman within the church. And Paul refers to her as a helper, as a helper. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, as you turn to that, we can see in Acts 16 that Lydia took the mission team into her own home after her conversion. And so Lydia is another woman in Scripture who was used by God to help and bless the work of the gospel. And we find in verse 24 of Acts 18, Apollos comes on the scene. He's an eloquent man. He's mighty in the Scriptures. Verse 25, we find that he knew only the baptism of John. And verse 26 tells us, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto, not him, the husband, but unto them, 
and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And there was a blessing then came upon the future ministry of Apollos. Again, working alongside her husband, but being involved in blessing and instruction and being a vital part of the church of Christ. And these ladies did much for the cause of the gospel of Christ. So let us establish, as we come to this thought about God-glorifying subjection, let us establish, just in case it is in doubt, that ladies play a vital and valuable role within the church. That's what we believe. That's what we hold to. That is what we experience Looking back at my experience, right back from when I was young, ladies taught me the things of God from an early age within the church. Ladies prayed for me. They encouraged me. They supported me. They taught me valuable lessons. And that includes everyone from my Sunday school teacher to my mother and my grandmother to my wife to many others as well. There wasn't authority other than parental roles but there was a valuable contribution in learning and in instruction. And therefore, the point of this is, men, do not despise the ladies within the church. Do not think that you are over them, that somehow, because of what Paul is teaching here, they are second class because they are not. We are to edify one another, and therefore there is much we can learn from one another, regardless of our gender within the church. And therefore we are to pray for the ladies, and they are to pray for the men. And we are to encourage the ladies, and they are to encourage the men. And we are to rejoice in the ladies within our congregation, and they are to rejoice in the men that God has given to the congregation as well. There are so-called men within the church who profess faith in Christ, and their attitude to fellow believers who are female is nothing but sinful and wicked. They trod down upon them hard, so they know who's in charge. They know that, well, the teaching of Timothy is applied in full force and abused. They should be quiet resulting in tears, resulting in great problems. And men, the ladies in this congregation are God's blessing. As wives and as mothers and as grandmothers and daughters and examples in the faith and fellow believers and sisters in the Lord, and we ought not to think anything different than that. This is not a text for the man to be exalted over the woman. This is a text that sets a God-given order within the church regarding leadership and regarding public worship. And we must also acknowledge, and Paul is acknowledging here as well, the blessedness of having women within the flock of God. So what does our text mean? It does not mean that the man lords himself as a tyrant or a dictator over the church. And of course, we need to acknowledge as well, not every man is called by God to be in leadership in the church. We'll see that in the next chapter. But what does our text mean? What is this God-glorifying subjection all about? And the term subjection or submission, it could be translated as, is defined as all subjection in verse 11, or all submission. 
Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And Paul here is saying silence in the sense of there's a quietness, there's a stillness. He's not saying silence is, you be silent over there. Don't speak. But a stillness and a quietness and a love and a grace. That is what we understand here. There's a quietness and a stillness, and men need to have that as well when we come to hear the Word of God in worship. There's a stillness and a quiet as we come and as we are taught the Word of God. And here it is defined as all subjection. The similar things are said about the marriage union between a husband and his wife, Ephesians 5, the husband being the head. And of course, Christ is the great head. But all subjection is emphasized because a partial subjection is not subjection at all. It leaves a little bit of room to do your own thing, a little bit of room to rebel, a little bit of room not to listen. And true submission is a full submission. And ultimately, this is a submission not to men, not to the leaders within the church, but ultimately to God. It is His church. He is the teacher and source of truth. It is a subjection and a submissiveness to Him. It is about a heart that is surrendered to God. And we see here that these characteristics that Paul is dealing with regarding the godly woman, they're not just outwardly. They're not just outwardly. It is to do with the heart as well. A love for Christ and a love for Him within the soul will lead to these things and will lead to, verse 9, this God-glorifying modesty and this God-glorifying subjection. And as we come later on, a God-glorifying attitude. It's an issue of the heart. True submission is not submitting because the husband or the pastor uh, is going to shout or yell or be cross or in some way be hard upon you if you step out of line and you're afraid. That's not what we're talking about here. This is about submission to the Lord. And of course, the pastor and husband should not be like that. But it is a submission primarily to God that as we come to worship, there's a silence, there's a submissiveness to the Word of God. That submissiveness does not mean that we do not discern what is being taught, that we do not uh, consider and meditate upon it, or raise questions in due course. If there is something we don't understand, or something we need to uh, talk about to get resolved, it does not mean that we sit in silence and learn and say absolutely nothing, uh, but it means that as the Word is being taught, that uh, there is a silence and submissiveness and questions and concerns can come after that. Submission, however, is seen as a bad thing in a modern context. It has been abused. And submission has been used to abuse women and others within society. And some of this attitude being against submissiveness in society today comes as a result of individuals who abuse positions of authority. And therefore, it is fundamental that the church understands and practices that which is true biblical submission. 
we have a responsibility to make sure that this principle of submission is never used to become a justification for abuse. And we are to resist the negative ideas of submission in society. And those to whom women and other men submit to in the church are men who are qualified. It's not just any man. It is men who are qualified, ultimately appointed by God. In 1 Timothy 3, we see godly men, men who are blameless. And there's a lesson here for men who are in positions of authority in the church and in home to be gentle men and to be caring men and to be godly men and not men who abuse that authority. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and the verse 21 to 24. Ephesians 5 verses 21 to 24. Here we have the husband and wife in submission. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And Paul here is talking about submission. It's not a negative thing. He's using wonderful language here to speak about the submissiveness between a wife and her husband and the love that there is to be here. But also he points to Christ. He points to Christ. And verse 24, Therefore is the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. There's a comparison. The church submits to Christ. And as there is subjection and submissiveness within the heart of the woman, there ought to be that in the man as well. It's a submissiveness ultimately to our Savior. And there's wonderful terms here. Paul is not dealing with this as a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It may not be easy to submit to God-given authority, but it is, it is a blessed thing. And that is why we are to pray for those who are leaders, because submitting to their authority is submitting to Christ, and it's a blessed thing if there is that right and godly and proper leadership. Blessedness. Blessedness. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle is teaching that Women are to be the learners and not the teachers during public worship. That role is reserved for men. There's no example of women elders or pastors in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, we see in verse 2, a bishop then, an elder then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And of course, society changes that in all sorts of ways. But that is what the Bible says, the husband of one wife not the spouse of one person, but the husband of one wife, emphasizing then the authority and leadership being upon the man. And the authority and leadership being upon the man, it's not something that ought to fill us with pride. It ought to humble us that the God of heaven in his wonderful and sovereign grace 
redeemed a sinner such as you or I, saved us, sanctified us, and saw fit in his divine plan to raise us up to be leaders within the church of Christ, caring for others, teaching others, showing forth the love of Christ to others. It's a humbling thing. It's not something that we should be filled with pride over. It's a serious task. It's a serious task. And that is why those who are leaders in the church must be prayed for. They're shepherds of God's flock. They're not emperors ruling over the empire, doing whatever they want. They're shepherds, humbly fulfilling the role that God has given to them. And that is how leadership is to be approached. And as the women learn in silence with all subjection, and as Paul suffers not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, that authority the man has is to be these things, a shepherd's authority, a shepherd's love, a shepherd's care that flows from his heart and his godliness and his relationship with Christ. And so the New Testament in this regard does not treat women as spiritually inferior. Certainly not. Christ spoke to women. He healed women. Women ministered unto him. He appeared to women after his resurrection. We see the important role women play within the church. But the New Testament roles of leadership are different for men and for women. And so how are women to approach the public worship of God? With submissiveness and with subjection, quietly, with stillness. One commentator said, when the church gathers... However, women are to listen to the men who teach quietly with entire submissiveness. And the Greek word quietly, it appears at the beginning of verse 11. It appears at the end of verse 12. In the original Greek, it would appear at the beginning of verse 11. And this whole idea of quietly is said in these verses at the beginning of it and at the end of it. This quiet and still submission. It is a silence regarding the public ministry of the word. There is to be a learning and not teaching. Now, we're not talking about the teaching of children. We're not talking about instructing others outside of public worship. We're talking about the context of what we're doing this morning, the public worship of God. We've already seen in Scripture through Priscilla, women can teach and can instruct and there are places that can happen, but there is one place that cannot happen. And that is what Paul is emphasizing here within the confines of the service of public worship. And here we find that uh, this is regarding the teaching of doctrine and the teaching of the truth of God. Yet there are other occasions within the church that women can teach and instruct and encourage Many times I've learned from the ladies within a congregation. I've learned from their attitude. I've learned from their words. I've learned from their encouragement. I've learned from their views and opinions on different matters. We all edify and benefit each other. The Lord's Catechism asks the question, by whom is the Word of God to be preached? And the answer is given, the Word of God is to be preached only by such as are sufficiently gifted and also duly approved and called to that office. 
And therefore, we find that it's limiting not just women, but it's also limiting men. Only certain men. Only certain men. And the whole idea then of submission emphasizes to us the need of strong, godly men within the church. Consistent men. Good men. Gracious men. Men to be submitted unto. But ultimately, as I've said, we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church. But there's this great lesson in submission. Yes, there's a context for the women here, and a context to come to worship, and to learn in stillness and quietness, and to hear God's truth and have it applied to your heart. But there is a need then for strong and godly men within the church of Christ to be able to do that. Men who are submitted themselves unto the Savior. I mentioned, I believe it was on Wednesday evening, the need that we have as a denomination for men, strong men, godly men, to lead congregations. Why? We have a number of vacancies in our denomination. And we have a need for ministers. This congregation has known something of that uh, yourself over the past number of years, and the need for men, and the need for a pastor. And there are other churches that are in the same position. And there are men within our denomination who have labored for Christ for decades, uh, but now they're older in years. And the time will come when someone else will need to take over the ropes and to hold the reins and preach the Word of God and lead. And there is a need then for men who are good, strong, godly men that we can submit to and congregations can submit to by the grace of God. And we're to pray for that. It is a great need. A great need. Not only for ministers, but for elders within our congregations as well and for deacons within our congregations. Although that work is a temporal work, there are spiritual aspects of it and godly men are to be involved. So there is a need for these men. And there is a need then for this learning in silence with all subjection. The two go together, I believe. The two go together. If a man is not godly and consistent and gracious and loving and filled with the Spirit of God, how can he be submitted unto? And so let us pray as a congregation for this that there would be that God-glorifying modesty and that God-glorifying subjection, submitting ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. But have you submitted to him yourself? Have you submitted to him regarding his gospel and his salvation? Have you repented of your sin and said to the Savior that he is your Lord and your Master, he is the one who is king of your life, who is the head of your life. This submission uh, to uh, the Word of God and to the teachers of God's Word, it must start with submission to Christ in the gospel. How can you submit to men who preach the Word of Christ and represent Christ in the sense of preaching the truth of Christ if you're not submitted to Christ yourself, if you do not love Him in your heart, 
if your love for him is non-existent because you've never trusted him as Savior. Oh, that you would turn to him today, that he would be your Lord, he would be your master, that all this that we've said about submission would be done out of love because Christ is your Savior, and ultimately you're submitting to him and to his rule and his reign within your life. Oh, that you would submit to him who is the blessed and the glorious Savior of sinners. And then we have, secondly and finally here, a God-glorifying attitude. A God-glorifying attitude. We've had modesty. We've had subjection. We have now attitude. Paul deals with the creation design of Adam. He gives reasons for this, why the woman is not to teach. He says, For Adam, verse 13, was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And in the covenant that God established, Adam was the federal head. Christ is our head, our representative, but it was Adam who represented the human race. Society will say, well, this subjection is a, is a corruption. This can't be right. And Paul points out that Eve was deceived. He's not blaming the fall upon the woman or women, but he's using it to show what happened when Eve took the lead in the headship and the fall resulted. Not from mere disobedience to God's commandment, but from a violation of God's appointed roles for men and women. Adam was still deceived. We need to make that clear. He was still guilty. It is called Adam's sin. He was our federal head in the covenant of God. But we see then what the apostle is saying in these verses, just very briefly before we close, about the right attitude. In verse 15, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. What is Paul teaching here? Has he, has he lost the plot somehow? Is he saying that women will be saved if they bear children? No, he's not saying that. What he is saying is that this is the role of women within society. They are those who bring children into the world, those who bear children or the general role of women, we could say. This does not mean women need to give birth to be saved, but it's a recognition of a role within society and attitude towards this role, an attitude toward the Lord. A man does not bring a child into the world. That is not God's order. A man teaches within the church of Christ. That is God's order but this role is one that is reserved for women in the plan and purpose of God. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And he's again emphasizing here spiritual characteristics, a spiritual attitude. A spiritual attitude. When we think of the mother of the Savior, if she had not given birth to Christ, where would we be today? We remember that at this time of year, the coming of the Savior into the world. And there's a reminder that we have hope because of Christ. And we have salvation from sin because of Christ. And so Paul is emphasizing a godly attitude. There's to be faith in the Lord. There's to be charity or love with holiness and sobriety, which is self-control. These are the characteristics, the attitude that the women are to display, and of course the men as well. 
does not mean men are not to have faith and holiness and charity and love and sobriety, but the context is the ladies. And our attitude should be an attitude that glorifies God. Whether we are male, whether we are female, we're to have an attitude, and an attitude in the work of God, an attitude within the structures of the church of Christ, an attitude within our families, an attitude in the public worship of God that is glorifying to Him faith and charity and holiness and sobriety within that great context of our Christian lives. It is to be God-glorifying. Do you believe or do you desire to glorify God today? Glorify Him by modesty and placing the attention not on yourself but upon Him? Glorifying Him with subjection to Him? to those within the church who are the oversight of the church, but ultimately because of Christ? And are you glorifying the Lord with your attitude, putting Him first, desiring to bring glory to Him, having an attitude of faith and charity and holiness and sobriety? Oh, that we would. Oh, that we would. And put Christ first in all things. May the Lord bless His Word this morning for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in closing to the hymn 332. The hymn 332. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And we'll sing verse 1, verse 4, and verse 6. Verse 1, 4, and 6, standing to sing. Do you remember there is coffee uh, prepared downstairs and uh, some of the sweet treats uh, from Friday evening. And uh, then uh, we'll set up uh, the PowerPoint very quickly uh, for those who want to see. But go get a cup of coffee, go get something to eat, and you can take it into the prayer room and watch uh, that PowerPoint. 332, verses 1, 4, and 6, standing to sing, please.
Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God, we thank Thee and rejoice in Thy Word. We pray that we would be submitted to the Savior, and He would be first within our lives, and that this submission would be a glorious and God-glorifying submission. And Father, we look to Thee that Thou would bless. Uh, for those who go downstairs, we give Thee thanks for uh, the small refreshments we will receive. Bless that presentation to us too, we pray. And we ask that Thou would bring us to our homes in safety. Bring us again to Thy house this night to praise and glorify Thee as we think upon the glorious incarnation of our Savior. And Father, may Thy love be with us. May Thy love enrich us and point us afresh to the Savior. And Father, we pray that Thou would part us with Thy blessing. Glorify Thy name. And may we look to Thee. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.